book of Genesis, Abraham is on the move again after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Praise the Lord. And by the way, Sister Bell, Sister Marvis asked about you and told you you're doing real good. So I'm glad just to let you know. All right, amen. So Abraham on the move uh, right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he goes over into the land of Gerar, which is the land of the Philistines. Okay, so Abraham is moving moving out of the will of the Lord and uh, moving out of the will of the Lord has caused him to act not like the ways of God or unlike the ways of God and uh, so let's look at it verse 1 and Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar and Abraham said of Sarah his wife she is my sister and Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Keeping in mind that Abraham is almost 100 years of age and Sarah is almost 90. Um, Abraham's about 99 and Sarah's about 89 at this time. It kind of be, is bewildering to me that Abraham, at this age and having walked with God for so long that he could have a lapse like this into failure. It teaches us that no matter how long that we walk with the Lord, or how long we live for the Lord, we have to be on the guard because uh, temptations come and you can fall very quickly. So no matter how long you've lived for God or how long I've lived for the Lord, you have to always be on the guard and uh, be walking strong in the Lord at all times because those failures can creep back up on you. In fact, it was 20 to 25 years before that Abraham did a similar thing by going down to Egypt. And when he went to Egypt, he lied about his wife then because he knew that Pharaoh would take her because of her beauty. So 25 years, 20 to 25 years later, Abraham is repeating the same sin. Can you imagine that? So there seems to be a besetting sin in Abraham's life. And that is the tendency to travel into places that are out of the will of the Lord and then as a result of that to act in ways that are not godly. Uh, so a besetting sin. But 20 to 25 years later, he, he had done the same thing and had failed in this area. And then 20, 25 years later, he repeats that sin over again. So... There's a weakness, I think, that the enemy can identify in each one of our lives, okay? And maybe for some, there's more than one weakness. But there is normally one besetting sin in an individual's life. One major weakness in an individual's life that they have to watch out for with extra care. And the besetting sin for Abraham was this tendency to wonder over into lands and areas that he should not be moving into or living in 
and then lying about his wife, okay, and saying that she is his sister to protect uh, his own life, okay, you with me? So it was a besetting sin. We have to be careful about besetting sin. You have to understand that there's weaknesses in your life, weaknesses in my life, and I, you know, I, I know what my weakness is, and I'm sure you know what your weakness is. And you have to be careful because that thing is a be what is known as a besetting sin that you may have the victory over for a long time. You know, you failed in a certain area, and it may be years and years and years and years uh, that pass by, and then all of a sudden that same sin that you committed maybe years ago will begin to rise back up in your life and to begin to tempt you to go away from the Lord. So if it happened to Abraham, then that means it can happen to you and it can happen to me. But every one of us have to be on guard, amen, when it comes to this area of our life. Uh, and I'll give you just a moment just to think, and I'm not trying to get you to go back into you know your sin or whatever or your failures, but I want you to think about your life this morning as I teach you what has been a failure in your life that, that has seemed to kind of want to reach up and grab a hold you by the ankles and pull you back down? You know, everybody's got something. There is a besetting sin that everybody has that seems to pop up its head and try to pull you away from the things of God. And so you have to recognize that weakness in your life. You know, there's a lot of people today that live in denial. Amen. And, and they, they lie to themselves. You know, you can lie to yourself about your weaknesses. You can say, I don't have a weakness in this area. You can lie to yourself. You can also lie to yourself about your abilities. Amen? About your ability to do certain things. And either way you look at it, if you lie about your weaknesses or you lie about your strength, that means you start lying to yourself. You start thinking that you're more than you are, or that you're capable of uh, capable of doing more than you can do, or if you lie about a weakness that's in your life, both of those can get you, and they can destroy you. Okay, and I think really both of those a a denial or a refusal to recognize a weakness in your life, or thinking you're better than you are, is a result of pride. Because you're going through life, and if you refuse to look at the weaknesses that are in your life, and you think, well, I'm okay, I'm all right, everything's good with me, then that's pride. Because there is, if you understand what I'm saying, a sin that besets you, that turns you away at times. And uh, it happened to Abraham, and he's walked with God for a long time. So we have to be careful about that, and we can't lie to ourselves. Look at your neighbor and say, you can't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. You can. You can, but don't do it. Amen? Acknowledge that weakness that you know is a weakness in your life, right? And know that it's a besetting sin, something that is recurring in your life that constantly coming back up to bring you down and to bring you into failure. And also recognize the weaknesses or the limitations that are in your life. Don't think that you're better than you are or you can do more than you can do because that will get you in major trouble, okay? So maybe Abraham, I don't know why, the Bible doesn't tell me what his motive was, but maybe there was some pride in Abraham that allowed him to move in this besetting sin and allowed him to go over into a place where he should not be living, 
and as a result of moving to a place he should not be living, he was acting in a way that was not godly. Okay? If you and I get out of the will of God, it will cause us to act different from the ways of God. And that's what happens with Abraham. So we have to be careful. I want to just drive this home. You cannot live in denial. You can't do it. And there's a lot of people that do that, you know, in life, in the church, doesn't matter. They're in the church or outside of the church. They just live in denial. Okay? You know, I'm stronger than that. That's what's going to get you. Remember? And Peter, he told, he told the Lord one day, he said, I'm not going to deny you. So everybody denies you, not Peter. I won't deny you. Everybody else might, but not me. And I believe that Peter really believed that. I believe that Peter loved the Lord with all of his heart. And I believe that when he said that, I'm not going to deny you, that he really meant that when he said it. But in the area of his strength, that became the area of his failure. Because the very confession that he had, I'm not going to deny you, is exactly what he did. You see what I'm saying? So, and, and Jesus told him, you will. You'll deny me. You will deny me three times before the cock crows twice. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. Now, if it can happen to Peter and it can happen to Abraham, it can happen to us. Okay? And I love you. I'm going to tell you the truth. But if you walk out of this service this morning, you don't take this word to heart and put it on the inside of you, you will find that what I'm preaching to you is going to happen. Amen? That that reoccurring thing, that reoccurring weakness that comes up in your life repeatedly, and you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's got one. If you don't hear what I'm preaching today, you're going to fall and you're going to fail. Because that is the way it is. Pride gets a hold of you, a haughty spirit gets a hold of you. And what happens, that prideful and haughty spirit gets a hold of you, and you what? The Bible says it goes before the fall. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'd rather just stay humble before the Lord. And just say, God, I know I'm weak. I know I'm weak. I need your strength. I need your power. Amen. How many people, when they started living for the Lord, they would, you know, and looking at their life and living for God. They would never believe that they would do what they've done. Because, man, they don't. Yeah. Okay. So we got to be careful here, don't we? Amen. All of us. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm being honest with you as your pastor. And I'm telling you that it can happen to anyone. It can happen to me. It can happen to you. Okay. And I believe that you want to live for the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. Then acknowledge the weakness that's in your life. Amen. Put it before the Lord. Stay on your knees about it. Praise God. Stay strong because you are able to fall just like Abraham did, even though he had lived with the Lord for a long time. Okay, praise God. Amen. How many of y'all know there's temptations out there? And just about the minute you think that you've just you've got the victory over it, and about the time you say, I'm not tempted by that anymore, say that, that's when it's going to try to come and get you. It's just like a wild animal, man. It wants to take you back. And you know, I mean, the list is endless. You know, so I'm not going to try to list it, okay? I mean, it's endless. It can be anything. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, so be careful about the time that you say, I've got it whipped. I don't even have temptation in that area anymore. You will find. And I, I mean, I'm, 
make that profession, okay? Go ahead and make that confession of faith. I've got the victory over temptation. That's okay. All right? That's a good thing. But what I'm saying is when you make that profession, know that the enemy's lurking. And he's going to hear what you're saying. You say, I've got the victory over this, and I'm doing awesome in God, you know, and, and I just don't believe I'm going to fail anymore in this area. All right, make that confession, but be careful. Because that's when the enemy, he's watching. He's trying to set a snare for you, a trap for you. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. You with me here? I can stand up here like I'm wisdom. I can, I can preach on the, what was it, the seventh commandment? Yeah. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I mean, we got the word of God and it's flowing and it's powerful, you know. Uh, I didn't finish the message. I just quit. I ran out of time. I preached from, you know, all the way up to 10 o'clock. And I could not touch every aspect of, of that subject of adultery. So we get up here and we preach the word of God and adultery, you know, and things like that, the, tenth, the seventh commandment. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens? You fall into temptations. You know, even the man that's preaching it fall into temptation. Now, I didn't fall. I didn't fail in that. But I'm just telling you that even the preacher behind the pulpit, when he gets up and he starts preaching, you know, and that anointing's there and you feel so strong and so powerful then that you, you know, there's no way you can fail in that. Because that anointing's there and that word's flowing out of you. Well, then all of a sudden, when you don't feel that anointing, that power and that strength, that's when the enemy's going to come. It's going to come in time to temptation. And I say well, I, got, I just got through preaching about that. And here I am struggling with my eyes on Monday. I'm being honest with you. Okay? So you have to be careful. And I have to be careful as a pastor. I get up and I can be on fire. And I mean, I can be preaching things to you, you know. And the convicting power of God be here. And then Monday, if it's a Wednesday, it's Thursday. You know, if it's Sunday, it may be Monday. And here I am struggling with the very things that I preached. So we have to be careful. Every one of us have a fallen sin nature. And uh, you may be strong and powerful in certain areas, but you remember the enemy's he's looking for a way to cause every one of us to fail. And you just put your hand on your head and say, how did the word of that? Because it, there is a besetting sin that comes in our life that causes us to trip up. So go ahead. That's all right. Make the confession. I've got the victory over that. You know? But don't don't be so blind that you you know you're losing understanding that you could fail tomorrow. And the very thing you said that you got the victory over today, tomorrow is gonna to be your failure. Alright? So we we have to get real. And I'm looking to you eye to eye as your pastor, okay? And I'm telling you the very things that I preach sometimes come back up and try to tempt me and try to make me fall. Okay, so I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm looking you in the eyes like you were sitting in my office right now, one-on-one. -on -one. Okay? Amen? It doesn't do me any good to get up here and, and put a you know a show on and put a front on that, 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 uh, that I'm not ever tempted with anything. That doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do me any good. Okay? So I'm going to be honest with you. You know? I do great men of God, great men of God, that have already gone on to be with the Lord. And, and one particular great man of God, he, uh, before he came to the Lord, he had a he really struggled with alcoholism. Major, not major, you know. And he came to the Lord, and uh, he said, man, there were times he just 
it's like cold sweat. That bottle is falling from your hand. It's falling from your hand. You know what I'm saying? And he, he, to the point, cold sweat, he had to resist like that. I mean, that, it was a major battle. It didn't happen for a great man of God like that. It happened for any of us. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? So there is something in, in your life this morning that is what it could be known as a besetting sin. But you can get, have the victory over it for a long time. You think, man, all right, good. No more problem here. And all of a sudden, it comes up, tricks you up again. And you walk, and just, you just walk around defeated. There's no victory. There's no power in your life. Why? Because you let it come back in your life and trick you up. How many can receive what I'm preaching this morning? So you've got to get honest with yourself. See, there's a lot of times people go to church. They go to church, and they're not even honest with themselves in church. They go to church. You know why they go to church? They want to they want to judge the pastor. They want to judge everybody in the church. They want to just check everything out. You know, they want to just come and, you know, see what's happening there. But I'm talking to everybody here. I'm not I'm not just talking to the people that are normal. I'm talking to everybody. Visitors, God bless you for being here. But I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have to get honest with God. Amen. Because you, you can act like you don't have any problems. But you know you do. And you know you need help. I need help. You need help. Everybody understand we need help. Everybody understand that we need God. Every one of us need God. Okay? Praise the Lord. So there is something that you have to watch out extra careful. It is a besetting sin. Something the enemy keeps working or using on you. And you get the victory over for a period for a while, and then all of a sudden, boom, here it comes again. You know what I'm saying? Alright? So I'll let you I'll let you write your own list. I'm not gonna write the list for you. Let you write your own list. Amen. Praise the Lord. How many want to stay victorious in the Lord? Okay, so then we're going to learn. We're going to learn from the life of Abraham. How this great, great man of God. He is the father of the faithful. He, he is the example of the believer. Okay? And this man, the father of the faithful, journeyed over into Gerar, into the Philistine territory which is out of the will of the Lord. He is no longer living where he's supposed to live. He's living out of God's will. He's living in the Philistine lands. Okay, he's just moving. And I don't know why he did, but he is. And the Bible says when he gets over there, he and Sarah have already talked about this again, just like he did uh, 20 to 25 years ago. What was it, the 12th chapter, I think, of Genesis? Go back and check it out, the exact chapter when he fell in this same sin in Egypt. He lied about his wife. So now, you know, as we move, I mean, he's going to live another 70 years or so after this event. But it's still, you know, a long time after he's lived with the Lord, he repeats this sin. Anybody hearing me today? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So, the Bible says he moved to this territory, Gerar, and verse 2, he said, uh, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Sarah is his wife. She says, he says, she's my sister. And Sarah goes along with him. All right, you with me? Now, as a result of that, the Bible says, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. 
So this Philistine king takes Sarah to be a part of his harem. Okay? Now, that means that Abimelech, if she's a part of his harem, Abimelech can summons her to his bed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And they can have sexual relationships. Now, do you not understand that the Lord has already told Abraham and Sarah that within a year's time, you're going to have a son. And that son is a promised son. Do you hear with me now? So that this could jeopardize the whole promise of God. The fact that Abraham has gone to a land that he should not have gone to. And the fact that he lies about his wife Sarah is putting the whole promise, his whole future, and Sarah's future in jeopardy as to whether or not they can have a son. You see? So a lot of times God, he gives us great promises about what he wants to do with our life. But if we go to the wrong places and we get around the wrong people, then we'll start living the wrong way you get around the wrong crowd and you'll start acting like that crowd and the very promises that God has given each of us about what he wants to do for you and how he wants to use you uh, in in your life can be jeopardized even though God gave the promise I mean he gave a prophetic word we've already seen it before that within a year's time they're going to have this promise and so now they're putting the whole promise in jeopardy. That's how serious it was. This action that he took and this lie that they were lying. So Abimelech takes her into his harem. Now watch this. If it wasn't for the intervention of God, okay, the whole thing could have been messed up. You understand what I'm saying? How many of y'all believe God, God's got a plan for your life? And maybe God has showed some of you what that plan is. Maybe there's a prophetic word that's been spoken over your life as to what God is going to do with that life. But you have to remember the besetting sin. Because that weakness that's in your life, if you go to the wrong place and you start acting in the wrong way, that thing can jeopardize even a promise that God has given. It's not automatic. Do you understand that? So the whole thing, the whole promise of God is in jeopardy here as a result of Abraham's decisions. Okay, so let's see what happens. The Bible says in verse 3, God's going to intervene on the behalf of Abraham. How many of you God's ever intervened on your behalf? Amen. I mean, he dug, he got you out of a pit. If it wasn't for God, you'd be dead. As to the promises of God. Amen. He intervened and he turned the whole thing around. Now, Okay, look at verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. You talk about an intervention from God. We got a man out of the will of God, living in the wrong place, and not acting like a man of God, lying about his wife. Amen. Uh, and God intervenes on his behalf. Amen. Hey, God's going to rescue this man. How many God's ever done that for you? I mean, 
and you were making bad decisions. You were going down the wrong path real fast. And if it hadn't been God stepping in and intervening on your behalf or my behalf, where would we be today? Just by, if you can understand this, Brother Chris, it was the grace of God that, that he did this. Because Abraham, where he is, what he's doing is not worthy of God's intervention. You understand what I'm saying? His life is not being lived the way it should be lived. So the fact that God would intervene on Abraham's behalf is by grace. You know, he doesn't deserve it. How many times in your life you didn't deserve it? You didn't deserve it. If it kept going the direction it was going, no telling where you would be today. But because of the grace of God stepping in in a time when you did not deserve it, when you were not living the way you were supposed to live, you were out of His will, you were in the wrong place, but God said by His grace, I'm still going to intervene, hallelujah, to save them, to rescue them. Thank God for that. How many other in this situation? You didn't deserve it, but God intervened anyway. By what? If He did it, He did it by grace. It wasn't because you deserved it. Hallelujah. It was the grace of God. So Abraham didn't deserve it. It was the grace of God. And God appeared to Abimelech in the night by a dream. And he said, you're but a dead man. Now, if you were Abimelech, that would probably shock you. You get a visitation from God Himself. Hallelujah. A dream from God Himself. And God tells you directly, you're a dead man. Okay, that, that wakes you up. I, think, I don't think you would sleep much more, would you? You're a dead man. Are you here? He said, For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. This also shows you. This is another example. We preached Wednesday night about the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. We see once again how important that is to God. He comes to this man and he says, You're a dead man because the woman you have is, are you with me here? Is a man's wife. She's already married. If you have a relationship with her, that means you're going to commit adultery. Okay? So we see the importance God, again, places on marriage. And, and he said, adultery is going to be judged. So he comes to Abimelech and said, you're a dead man because you've got a man, a wife, a woman, and she is the wife of another man. You have relationships with her, you're going to be committing adultery. God says, you're a dead man. Look at it. Verse 4, but Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she's my sister, and she even she herself said he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. He said, I didn't know. Abraham told me that she was his sister, and Sarah said that Abraham was her brother. I didn't know that they were husband and wife. Are you coming here to judge a righteous nation? You understand what he's saying here? Now watch. Verse 6. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou did this in the integrity of thine heart. See, God knows everything. Right? And the innocency of my hands have I done this. And verse 6. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou did this in the terrible heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch me. You with me? So God withheld Abimelech from sinning against him. Hallelujah. Withheld him from touching her. Now verse 7. 
Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. Now I promise you, if he's lied and he's not living the way he's supposed to be living, he definitely does not appear to be a prophet. Okay? And Abraham is, you know, he's not saying, not telling anybody he's a prophet. The Lord has to tell Abimelech that he's a prophet. You with me here? How many times you and I get in situations we don't act like Christians? And if people were to look at our life, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't look at your life and say, that's a Christian. Somebody else would have to tell them, that's a Christian. Because they can't tell it by looking at you. Because you don't, you don't live, you're not acting like a Christian. You're not talking like a Christian. Abraham is not acting like a Christian. He's not living like a Christian. He's lying like the world. And so somebody else has to tell Abimelech that that man is a prophet. It happens to be God in this case. That this man is a prophet. That's why you shocked Abimelech. Amen. How many people would be shocked to find out that you were a Christian? Maybe brother and sister from the church comes around you, you know, in your workplace or wherever you are, and hey, sister, hey, brother. The people go, oh, is that your brother? Is that your sister? They think naturally. No, they go to my church. Oh, you go to church? Yeah, yeah. What kind? Apostolic Pentecostal. You're a Pentecostal? My mama was a Pentecostal. You see, the point then is that they, they would not have come to that conclusion by looking at your life or seeing the way you live and by examining the way you talk. They would not, hallelujah, by looking at us, come to the, the conclusion, the determination, that's a Christian. Amen? And it took a brother and sister in the Lord that just happened to show up to say, to let them know you're a Christian and you go to their church and not only that, but you're apostolic Pentecostal. Amen? Do the people around you know that you're a, a, a Pentecost, apostolic Pentecostal? Do the people around you know that you're a Christian? Can they tell by the way you talk? Can they tell by the way you live? Or does somebody else got to come along and, and tell them that you're a this or a that? Are you with me? What about in the church? Can people even tell that you're a Christian, that you're walking the walk here in the house of God today? When they see you, can they tell by your life or by your actions or the way you talk, amen, that you're part of the body of Christ here? Or do we have to tell you, that's a brother, that's a sister? Say amen. I mean, that's, that's a horrible dilemma to be in. When nobody can tell by looking at you that, that you are a Christian, somebody else has got to tell them that's a Christian. And so this man didn't know that he had a prophet in his midst, Abraham, that he was a prophet. God had to tell him in a dream, that man is a prophet of the Lord, and the woman that you have in your harem is his wife. He didn't know either one of them. 
God had to tell him that. Yeah, you're fixing to die, sir. He's going, what are you talking about? I'm fixing to die. You got a, you got another man's wife in your harem. What? I didn't know that. And that man's wife that you have in that harem, that man is a prophet of God. You know, that's pretty shaky ground to be on. You know, and before God gets through this situation, he's going to correct this situation because this man is about to die. He's messing with a prophet's wife. He's messing with a prophet. He doesn't even know it. Okay? Amen? Say praise the Lord. Anybody had any besetting sins lately? A reoccurring sin that keeps up coming up and when people look at your life, they can't tell by the way you live that you're a Christian. Somebody else had to tell them. That's sad. And after Abraham, it can happen to me. Praise the Lord. You go on vacation somewhere. What you got to realize, though, when you go on vacation somewhere and you're not, you know, here at church, you're out of town somewhere, you got to remember that when you go on vacation, you're not taking a vacation from God. So no matter where you go, you're still going to have to live the life, be a Christian, hallelujah. You can't be acting up a fool. You know, because, well, I'm out of Odessa. Nobody's going to know it. Yeah, they will. They'll find out somehow. If they don't find out, God knows it. And some of y'all, well, y'all are real quiet. I love to preach these messages. Brother, he said, I walked in here tonight. Well, it's real quiet. Amen. We were talking about a really serious subject, you know. It's real quiet. But I know when I'm preaching good because y'all get real quiet. You know, and I know when y'all love to storm, storm the stage and everything and try to, you know, where we really get to preaching, you know, I like to jump up and come up here. And sometimes I don't even really know if I'm really preaching to you then. Hallelujah. But when you sit there and you're just, you, you're so quiet. You don't, you don't even hardly move or breathe. I know I'm preaching to you. Amen. We have to live as Christians wherever we go. We go into a restaurant. We need to look. When we go in that restaurant, there's people watching us, and they know what you are. They can tell what you are. Amen. You sit down there. Are you acting all crazy? You got food, food flying over the room, and it's all on the ground, and. Amen. You don't tip the waitress, you know, and all that kind of stuff. They know it's not a good testimony. Abraham didn't have a good testimony right now. <clears throat> Remember <clears throat> that you as a Christian are being watched, and I as a Christian are being watched. Amen. It's important, amen, for us to be responsible. It's for us, important for us to live in such a way that people look at, that look at our lives and say, that's a Christian right there. Hallelujah to the Lamb. How many of y'all agree with the Word of God today? God had to tell him that a prophet was in his midst. He said this right here again in verse 7, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. He shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, no thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. You're fixing to die. Not only are you going to die, but your wife's going to die, and all the servants around you is going to die. In fact, the sickness hits them. A plague hits them. 
they are they are very they're going to be very 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 sick even unto death and so verse 8 the Bible says in, in verse 8 therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told all these things in their ears and the men were what so afraid see look at these this, these people right here are Philistines they don't know God like Abraham knows God but when Abimelech has this dream from the Lord that the judgment of God is upon his house amen he tells the servants in his house that the judgment of God is on his house and the Bible says the response of those servants were they were afraid they feared the judgments of God there's people in the church of the living God they don't fear the judgments of God like these people did they had a proper response to the message of judgment that was on their house that means they were afraid they believed what God had said that he's going to judge and it brought fear to their hearts how many people go to church they don't even believe in hell you'd be surprised how many people go to church that don't believe in hell and if you talk to them and say yeah I believe in hell pastor I believe there's a hell no you don't because you don't live like there's one and I believe there's a heaven pastor and I believe there's a hell you don't believe there's a heaven or there's a hell because if you believed there was a heaven to gain and a hell to shun you would be living totally different from the way you live so it's not about what you say with your mouth hell is real it's forever amen and the Bible says when this message of judgment came upon these men the servants in Abimelech's household Philistines their response to the judgment of God was one of fear. That's what we should have. We have a message of judgment. It's it's declared. Are y'all with me here right now? And that message of judgment goes forth. If a person does re doesn't respond to the message, doesn't respond to the grace of God at that time, that judgment's coming. Amen. There's been times in my life and and. You know, I'll preach a message, the message of judgment from the Word of God to the congregation as a whole. But there's been, been times in my life, one particular time, that I went to a young man. He was, he was interfering with somebody being restored to the kingdom of God. I went to that young man. I said, I'm going to warn you. And I don't normally do this, especially to a guest or visitor. But I said, I'm going to warn you. If you get in the way of this person being restored to God, I would hate to be that young man. Okay. Understand? See, what God was doing at that time was trying not only to save the person that was coming back to church, but was trying to reach that young man, telling him, you don't interfere with what, what's going on here. If you do, you're going to have problems. And God was trying to help that young man as well. That young man did not respond to the grace and mercy of God. I would not want to. When a message of judgment, a direct message of judgment comes, you and I better listen to it. We better hear it. Are you here with me? The woman of God from Zambia stood up in this pulpit not long ago and said, if you leave this church within two years, you're going to be dead. All right? Now, to me, it's not just somebody flippantly saying something. When she says it, I believe it because I, this woman is a true woman of God. You with me here today? So people... 
But, but what we have is that people, they have message of judgment, direct messages from God that you're going to be judged by God, and they don't respond to that message. It's the grace of God. It's the mercy of God trying to save them. And I'm going to tell you today, if you don't respond to that mercy, if you don't respond to that grace, then what is left is the judgment. And the judgment's coming. But these servants had a proper response to the message of judgment that was coming on their lives. The Bible said they feared that judgment. Amen. When the message of judgment comes to us, what's our responsibility? Do we just take it easy, take it light? It's no big deal. It's serious. And these people took it serious. They were so afraid. Verse 9, Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us? And what have I offended thee? That thou hast brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. Now I want you to see this. Who's rebuking Abraham for lying? It's not God. God's not the one coming to Abraham and rebuking Abraham for his lying. It's another person. It's Abimelech that's rebuking Abraham. You see, a lot of times God, I would say really, it's more humiliating for Abraham to rebuke, be rebuked by a Philistine king. More humbling, okay, than if God were to come and rebuke him directly. You see? But sometimes we get in situations and places in our life where we're not supposed to be and we're lying and we're not living the way we're supposed to be, you know? And we're creating all kinds of problems, not just for ourselves, but other people around us. Romans 14, 7. Let's look at this verse real fast. I'm not losing you, am I? Fourteen seven. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. See, we have this idea, you know, well, I'll just, if I do this, if I make this decision, it's not going to affect anybody else. It affects other people. No man lives to himself or dies to himself. You're affecting somebody. I'm affecting somebody. Amen? My bad decisions are affecting somebody else. It's not just affecting me. My good decisions are affecting somebody else, not just affecting me. So we need to realize that what Abraham did, brothers and sisters, it wasn't just affecting him and Sarah and his family and his household. It was affecting other people around him, even unbelievers. We can't go through life and and take on this idea, well, you know, we'll just keep it to ourselves. We'll keep it within our own family. It's not going to affect anybody else. It does, whether you like it or not. Sin affects other people. And so Abimelech's coming and he's rebuking Abraham because Abraham's sin is affecting Abimelech and his nation. You and I need to understand the reality of this, that my actions or my decisions in life are going to affect other people. Hallelujah. How many of y'all agree with that? So he rebukes Abraham for what Abraham has done. And I will say it again, that oftentimes God won't come directly to you and correct you or rebuke you. But it's going to be some person. And they might not even be in the church. It might be an Abimelech that comes to you instead of God coming to you. 
Aren't you a believer? Aren't you a Christian? You know? Aren't you called to preach? I remember, you know, some people say, well, I'm called to preach, you know. Really? Where are they today? You ought to see them out in the back and say, well, I thought you said you were called to preach. What happened to you? You understand? It might not be that God comes to them and rebukes them. It might be an individual that comes to rebuke them. And really, there's more humiliation at times when an individual rebukes us and God doesn't, if not the one rebuking us. And it might not be your pastor. It might be somebody else. Maybe other people. It's a sad thing. Sometimes I can handle God coming in and correcting me. But when an individual comes in and corrects me, corrects me, I mean, that's a horrible situation. Especially if that individual is on a, if, and, and as far as their walk with God is concerned, is on a lower position than you might be. But yet they're pointing the finger at you. That's what happened to Abraham. Abimelech is the one that is rebuking this man. And we'll see in a little bit that Abimelech not only rebuked Abraham, but he rebuked Sarah. The Bible says in verse 10, Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, here we go with the excuses. And then it says, What sawest thou that thou hast done this? Why are you doing this? Abraham said, Because I thought, say, I thought, here comes the excuses. Romans chapter 1, the Bible talks about. When Judgment Day takes place, people will be without excuse. God is allowing people right now to experience maybe certain judgments, certain mercies and graces from Him. At some point on Judgment Day, they will be without excuse because God is removing every, every excuse out of their life. They won't be able to point a finger at anybody but themselves. Amen? People love to point a finger at everybody else for their problem. People want to make excuses for doing what they do, being out of the will of God. Are you with me here today? But there's coming a time when the Bible says they will be without excuse. I've dealt with situations, and I'm talking about extreme situations uh, with, with individuals in this church, and they're good and they're godly. But they were dealing with somebody that was outside of the church. And, and they wanted to know, how do we work this? How do we handle this? I said, well, you have to stay where you should stay, where you need to stay, because you can't give this person an excuse for what they're doing. And, and I don't want to get into the details, so I'm very vague. Forgive me for being vague. But what I'm saying is this. I've told people to stay in very difficult situations, and the reason is because the Holy Ghost said to me, they have to stay in this difficult situation, even though they're a wonderful sister in the Lord. They have to stay in this situation because this unbeliever, if they don't stay in this situation, will be able to point a finger at them. And so I told them, I said, you're going to have to stay in this very difficult situation so that unbeliever can't point a finger at you because God is in the process of removing every excuse in this man's life. You understand? So there's going to come a time when people stand before God, no more excuses. 
You played the blame game long enough, sir. You played the blame game long enough, ma'am. And God's going to take every excuse away. And so Abraham, what does he do? He starts resorting to excuses for his behavior. The first thing he says. And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place. Really? Then what are you doing there? If you think the place is so bad. Okay, Abraham. You say the fear of God is not in this place, then why are you there? See how his excuses don't make any sense? If he really believed the fear of God wasn't in Gerar, then why did Abraham go to Gerar to begin with? It's an excuse of location. It's an excuse of geography. How many people use that excuse? Well, it's because of where I am right now. Well, you, you took yourself there. You drove the car to get there. You walked there. Amen? You made the decision to be there, and then now you're making it as an excuse for your life. And that's what Abraham did. It's, it's an excuse based on his geography, an excuse based on his location. If you knew it was so bad, Abraham, why did you go there to begin with? Because you're out of the will of God. And then number two, they will slay me for my wife's sake. They will slay me. Next excuse. I feared for my life and I had to protect my life, you know. But I'm going to tell you something. There's something more important than life and that's virtue. There's something more important than life than losing your character or losing your testimony. This man's trying to save his own skin because of the bad choices that he's made. Are you here? So he's going to blame the place. The fear of God is not in this place. And then he says, well, you know, I was afraid I was going to die. So he's trying to justify his decision for lying about his wife because he's afraid he's going to die. You know, he's going to lose his life. Virtue is more important than life. Then he, then he goes on, he says, why are they going to slay me? For my wife's sake. And ye indeed, yet indeed she is my sister, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. See, he gave a half-life. It's a half-life. But in God's eyes, let me just tell you this, in God's eyes a half-life is a whole life. He said, yeah, she's my wife, but she's my sister. You know, let me tell you how she's my sister. Well, you didn't tell Abimelech all the truth. You gave him a half lie, but in God's eyes, it's a whole lie. You understand what I'm trying to say? With, how in the world can you call a lie half a lie? A lie is a lie. You can't cut it up and divide it, you know. Say, so, okay, I, I told a quarter of a lie. But three quarters of it was true, but one quarter of it wasn't true. You can't cut up and cut it up. And, and, you know, you can't work it that way. If you, if you tell a quarter of a lie or half a lie, you still told the whole lie. In God's eyes, it's a lie. Isn't it sad? Now he's using his wife to do that excuse. So he's used the location as an excuse. He's, he's used uh, 
saving his skin as an excuse, and now he's pointing the finger at his wife. He's blaming the lady. Uh-oh, getting real quiet now. I know I'm preaching good now. How many men love to do that? You want to blame your wife? The only one that's not married lifts his hand. <laughs> Amen. Well, you can go both ways. You blame your husband. Well, in this case, Abraham's blaming his wife for lying. Really, if you look at this, this is kind of interesting because she's 89 years of age. Why would Abimelech want her to begin with? I can understand 20 to 25 years before, you know, where she was, if she's almost 90, what would that make her 20? She's about 60, you know, 65 to 70 years of age when uh, Pharaoh wanted her in her in his harem when he lied the first time. You know, 65-year-old woman, that's... She's getting a little old. But this, this woman now, right now, she's 89. She's going to be 90 years of age, and Abimelech still wants her? I mean, Sarah was just a total knockout. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, she was so beautiful that when she was 65 to 70 years old, Pharaoh wanted her. And now, when she's almost 90, Abimelech wants her in his hot ring. She was beautiful. And probably because when God touched her and rejuvenated her so that she, she can now give birth, he probably didn't just rejuvenate the wound that was in her. He probably rejuvenated her whole body. So that when, when God touched her and rejuvenated her womb, amen, made her womb come alive, he made her whole body come alive. You know? And Abraham, I don't think God touched him. I don't think Abraham was any better looking. But I tell you what, Sarah, you know, I really, Abimelech probably looks at it and says, it's got to be, it's got to be her blood. You know? But, but you think about it. I mean, she's so beautiful at almost 90 years of age that Abimelech wants her in her harem, you know, and so Abraham pointing the finger at his wife. Blame. Excuse, excuse, excuse. How many excuses do you and I have? About a location or your life because you're trying to save your own neck or maybe you're blaming somebody else. Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your husband. Are you all here? not over yet. In verse 13, he blames God. Came to pass when God caused me to wonder from my father's house. Are you kidding me? Now he's blaming God. He said, God caused me to wonder from my father's house. And if you study it, you're going to find out this word wonder. There's seven words in the Hebrew for, for the word wonder. This is the strongest word for wonder that Abraham could have used. He could have used six other words for wonder that were less strong than this word. He said, God calls me to wonder. The, just the, the strongest word for wonder he could possibly use. Okay, you with me? The word wonder means 
in the Hebrew, it means like an animal straying off the path. He said, God caused me to stray off the path. It's also used of a drunk person. A, a drunk man that would reel back and forth one way. Abraham said, God caused me to be like a drunk man one way back and forth off the it's used of evil seduction. It's used of a false prophet preaching a message that's not the truth that causes people to wander off the path of righteousness because of his preaching. It's used of a heart that has lied to itself It's lied to itself and it's wandered off the path by that lie. That's the kind of word Abraham is using here. And he said, God caused me to do this. See, when a person sins against God, they make all these excuses. Location, trying to save their neck, blame somebody else. And ultimately, your sin will lead to worse sin because you'll even start blaming God for the decision that you make. Well, I quit living for the Lord because God. Are you kidding me? How many people, they come up with so many excuses for the decisions that they make to be out of the will of the Lord and it sounds so Even to the point you start pointing the finger at God. So God told me to do this. God didn't tell God didn't cause you to wander like a wandering star. God doesn't do that. You just had to justify what you did. And how many people, when they do what Abraham does, get out of God's will, they start acting unlike God. And they start making excuses. Okay? Numbers of excuses that people come up with. They leave this church, go to another church. I'm going, wow, they really had to go deep. They really had to go low this time. What am I saying? Their life, they had to go so low in their life to be able to say that about this church, this ministry. They justified what they did. That's exactly what Abraham did. I'm telling you, Abraham did it. He's the father of the faithful. I'm not, not talking about some ungodly person. I'm talking about the father of the faithful. Making one excuse after another to justify the decision that was made. Well, he's probably in a bad place here in the church because he's got a Bimelech with you. What's your response when somebody comes to rebuke you for a bad decision? Excuses and the truth. So Abimelech rebuked him. He comes up with all these excuses. I'll say one thing about it. The fact that Abimelech rebuked him is a good thing. You with me? Because if you don't rebuke evil, it encourages evil. 
Amen? Okay, so just say you're in a place, position of authority, in a situation, and there's evil around you taking place, and you have a responsibility to correct that or to rebuke that. If you don't do it, if you don't rebuke the evil, you are encouraging it. So, Abimelech rebuking the evil is a good thing. But Abraham's response to that rebuke is not good. So many excuses. I'm going to ask you again. Going back to the beginning of the message. Do we want to live a life of self-denial? Or do we want to be real? We want to be true? This besetting sin came back to take Abraham down once again. I want to be truthful, don't you? Amen. We see Abraham sins even more. He had sin on top of sin, Brother Chris. And now he is so low that he blames God for his decisions. not God direct, directly God, it's the pastor's fault. If it's not the pastor's fault, it's the brother and sister of the church. It's the church. I left the church. What do you do? I left. No, no, no. You're living in denial. Are you going to run the race of your life? From one failure to another failure to another failure. I look, listen, I'm going to be honest with you as your pastor. There are times at, in pastoring that it gets really difficult. And, and you know, you're going to make a decision. You're going to, you're going to stay and fight or you're going to fly. It's either fight or flight. Okay? And sometimes it gets really difficult and you want to make that decision. I'm just going to fly. Can I tell you something? I've told myself I'm not going to live that kind of life. I'm not going to run from one failure to another failure to another failure. That's over. I'm not going to do it anymore. You understand? And at some point, you've got to get in your real in your own life and say, I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop making excuses for my life, and I'm going to stop running. I'm going to stop blaming everybody else, the location, hallelujah, the person, or because I tried to preserve myself, or even God, I'm going to stop doing it. I'm going to own it. I got the problem. People get married, divorce. Get remarried, divorce. Get remarried, divorce. And the whole time they're saying, it was her. Well, isn't it amazing that the first one you divorced had certain characteristics, the second one you married had the same one she had, and the third one you married had the same characteristics as the other two. You know what that tells me? Neither of the three had the problem. You did. And you kept pointing the finger at everybody else because you don't want to take responsibility for your own life. Abraham has already committed this sin before. Now he's making up excuses as to why he committed this sin again. A repeating sin. A repeating failure. 
Are you with me? It doesn't get you anywhere going through life like that. Are y'all with me? Do you hear what I'm preaching to you today? I'm not going to run from one failure to another failure and give myself excuses for it. I'm going to stay. I'm going to get real. I'm going to get honest with God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And I'm going to do what God wants me to do where He has me. A lot of times people, you know, a pastor will quit the pastor in the church because he knows, are you with me here? The church knows him too good. The church knows that pastor too good and he starts feeling that he knows him. He says, okay, I'm going to go and pastor another church. And as soon as they start knowing him real well, then he goes and pastors another church. As soon as that church starts knowing him real good, he goes to another church. That's why there's so many turnover pastors. It's not just because church. It's because of his own life. And as soon as the people in the church figure it out, he starts knowing them. Okay. Alright. Same thing can happen in, in the Sunday. They come to church, you know, for the first few months it's just kind of a honeymoon thing. Because the pastor doesn't know them. Know. They don't know the pastor very well. So it's a honeymoon. All of a sudden, all those warts. The pastor, the pastor knows everything about that person, and that person knows everything about that pastor. And that's why people don't stay in the church. Because as soon as they're found out what they didn't like, they don't change. Here come the excuses. How many churches have you gone to? How many churches have you come and gone from? And everybody else. You, you leave one place and go to another because you've got a problem you're just carrying that problem with you to the next place and when they figure you out or find you out then you move from there to the next place and you just keep carrying your problem with you everywhere you go amen if I got a problem as a pastor and I'm going to make a church change because the church has figured me out I'll go somewhere else. It's going to be the same thing. We have to stop making excuses. We have to stop living in denial. The pastor knows about all my weaknesses and all my failures. Thank you, Jesus. Because he's not God. God knows more about you than the pastor does. You know more about, hallelujah, God knows more about me than you. Is helping anybody? See, I love the way y'all. I love the way y'all work things. Now, I love you, and I'm not trying to beat you up, but I love the way y'all work things. And y'all want to just sit there and just look at me like this is not applying to me. He's preaching to somebody else. I'm preaching to every one of us. Amen. Give God some praise in the house. And 
I understand sometimes, you know, even job situations, you got to make job changes, and, you know, you can better yourself by making job changes. But a lot of times, it's just a vicious cycle in your life that fails. One failure after another. One excuse after another. And it's just a, it's a downward spiral, church, that leads you to a place that eventually point your finger at God. Sin leads more to sin. Having said that, how many of you today are thankful to God that, that God could have stopped that? But you got tired of being a failure and giving excuses for your failures and you were running from one place to another say, okay, God, I'm going to let you put me on your wheel. I'm going to let you spin me. I'm going to let you press me. That like the clay, the potter in the clay, you keep working on me. You press on me on the inside. You press on me on the outside. Pressure on the inside. Pressure on the outside. And I'm going to let you spin me on your wheel until your will is done in my life. And when I start feeling the pressure, I'm not going to be as the piece of clay. I'm not going to ask the potter, what are you doing? I'm going to say, God, what are you doing? This is your... No, no, no. It's my problem. Put more pressure on me, God. Inside and outside pressure until you make me the vessel of honor that I should be. Let, let him spin you on his will until his will is done in your life. That, at that time, the pressure's on. You can't be like Abraham and said, the Lord did it. Did no excuse. Go ahead, God. Get out of Get out of Work on me. I'm staying right here. Hallelujah. I thank God. You know? And this message I'm preaching today is not just for the saints. It's for people that are called to preach. It's for all of us. I'm staying here. It doesn't matter how hard it gets, how much it hurts. God's working on me, and I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to blame the location. I'm not going to blame, you know, but I'm trying to preserve myself and my family, you know, because the pastor's trying to kill me and my kids. How stupid can you get? Love it. We had to make the move because if we didn't, the pastor was going to kill us and our kids too. Wow. We might even go to hell if we stayed in that church. With me? Go ahead, God. Put the pressure on. Spin me on your wheel. And I'm not as the clay going to ask the potter, what are you doing? Now, what do you do when, I, when your pastor just hits you right between the eyes like that? What do you do? You don't try to hide under the pew. You stand up and say, that's right. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 
The enemy tried to give me that excuse, but I didn't take it. Amen. I'm one of them. Give it time. Same thing will come up. Lord. I love one brother in this church. I said, brother, you know, there's there some major battles going on in the community. They, they all, they come to homes. And he told me, he said, I have, he said, this is it. If it don't work here, I'm going to the world. <laughs> That's what he told me. He said, if I, don't, if I don't make it here, if I don't win this fight here, I'm not going to another church. He said, I'm just going to the world. Well, hallelujah, that's it. That's, that's honest right there. They say, but I don't make it here. I'm just going flat to the world. Amen. Stop making the excuses. Amen. It's either I'm going to make it here or I'm not going to make it anywhere else. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus. <laughs> I look at him. I couldn't believe what he just told me. Is that honest? Pastor, I'm not looking for another church. I'm not looking for another pastor. This is it. If it don't work here, I'm just going to the world. I love that kind of honesty for me. You know, Brother Mark, this is something. I'm not talking about Brother Mark. I wasn't. Just something. That's, that's what we got to get. Hallelujah. God's good. Now, if God calls you somewhere else, I think your pastor's going to know it. I don't, I don't think he's going to call you somewhere and not tell the pastor. And he did come up. Hey, pastor, I'm going over here. Really? Wow. Yeah, God told me to. Really? He didn't tell me that. I'm shocked. You think God is going to tell you to go somewhere and not tell your pastor? You're just running. You're just running. Oh, are you glad that you're in the house of the Lord? You just want to, you're, you're going to stand put, man. Hallelujah. In case you don't know it, you need this kind of church. You know, you can call me names all you want to and everything, but I'm one of the nicest people you'll ever find in your life. One of the most kind, loving people you'll ever know. Hallelujah. That's the truth. It shocks me to find out there's some people don't like me. I can't get you. What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? just made up your mind. I'm not going anywhere mean. I'm not getting out of the will of God because if I get out of the will of God, I'm going to start acting like the world. And all it is is it's going to be running from one failure to another failure. Hallelujah. Give God a hand clap of praise. Amen. And I, I promise you as a pastor, if somebody is called to go into ministry in a different location, I'll bring those people to from the church and I will let this church know these people are going to start a work of ministry in the Lord and this church is going to be behind them and their prayers so on and so forth and you want that if they just up and take off you know there was a problem it don't work that way I said it doesn't work that way give the Lord a hand clap of praise but you'll see it now, and if you're if you're a pastor, if you ever do pastor, I want you to get this in your gut. 
navigate this progression of excuse. Because when you hear it, you're going to see it within that life, within that old human nature we've been made. That progression of excuses one in front of you, one failure to another of the seconds. Location. Preservation. Point the finger at somebody else. Okay, so you've been in the church for a few years. Bless your heart. Would to God you had the same spirit now that you did when you first got in the church. A childlike spirit that could be worked with, that somebody willing to be put on the will of God and continue to be worked on until God gets done. Would to God that you're in that place. But at some point, you get so, you know, for yourself. Okay. Is anybody receiving this word today? I mean, are you receiving it? Are you saying, yes, Lord? Because I promise you, if you don't, it's the word of God. It's not your pastor's opinion. I'm preaching to you verse by verse, sentence by sentence, word by word. You don't, you don't hear it. It's not because you're rejecting your pastor. You're rejecting God's word. Amen? How many of you made up your mind? I'm not going down the path this path. I'm not going down this path. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Because if you make decisions, you're going to affect your family. You're going to pull your family out of the will of God. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect other people that are around you. And all it'll be is one excuse after another, one failure after another. Amen. Stay somewhere. Get committed and watch God do powerful things in your life. Verse 13 came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place whither we shall come, saying of me, he is my brother. Next excuse. He says this one through kindness. Shows me. Because Abraham knows that wherever he goes, he's got a beautiful wife on his hands. His life could be in danger. So he looks at his wife and says, Be kind to me in life. Be kind to me in life. Verse 14 Abimelech took sheep and oxen, manservants and women servants, and gave them unto Abraham and restored them to his wife. I want you to see this man. This man bends over backwards to make it right. And he's not even the one that was at fault. You know what I mean? I mean, he's got so much of the fear of God in his life. Hallelujah. I mean, he, he did take another man's, another man's wife into his harem. Maybe he should have checked that a little better, right? Right? Because he took another man's wife into his harem. He, he looked at it as being serious. So serious, even though really he wasn't at fault other than that. He said, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to give you some gifts, Abraham. I'm going to make this right. Not only did he give 
and sheep and oxen, men servants, women servants, he gave them unto Abraham and restored him Sarah, his wife. God told Abimelech what to do. What would happen to Abimelech if you gave Abraham all of his gifts and kept Sarah? Yes. Who restored him to Sarah's wife? Praise God. Are y'all awake? Look at verse 13 again. And Abraham said, And then I said unto her, This is my kindness which thou shalt show unto me at every place whither we shall come, say of me, He is my brother. Look at verse 16. And unto Sarah, Sarah, this is Abimelech speaking, he said, Behold, I have given thy brother. So Abimelech has rebuked Abraham, and Abraham went through the excuse process, and then Abimelech gives him gifts. He's going bending over backwards to make it right. And but I want you to see how he addresses Sarah. He said, I gave your brother all these things. A rebuke to her life. Even though he knows that Abraham is her husband, he says to her, I gave your brother these things. You've been uncovered. You've been exposed. You lied with your said, Behold, my land is before thee, where, well, where it pleaseth thee. Say, where do you want to in my land? See, even though Abraham did not act like a prophet, live like a prophet, talk like a prophet, when Abimelech found out that he was a prophet of God, he restored Sarah back. And he said, I want you to live in this land. I want you to stay in my land. If the nations world would respond to the people of God this way instead of responding to them in harmful ways they would have the result of being repentant. Jesus said, I want you in my land. Now, I had planned on preaching the 21st chapter, but I'm, I've been sold. I've been preaching as God has been leading me. I'm going to stop We'll see when we get in the 21st chapter, Abimelech will show back up again. And at the end of that chapter, he said, I've been watching you, Abraham. It was a good decision that I'd made earlier for you to stay in my land. You are a prophet of God. It was a good decision because I've seen Abraham, I've seen your life, and your life has been blessed by the Lord. He said, God is with you, Abraham. I can see God with you. And I want to enter into a peace treaty. Listen, God, people don't know the Lord like you know. They want you in their land. And they want Abraham to be in his land because he wants Verse 16 under Sarah.
very same people that I've given my brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to be a covering of the eyes. Unto all that are with thee, all of the dust she was with thee. And so what God had already told Abimelech, he said, he's a prophet. He's going to pray for you. He prays for you. He's going to give you Judgment, the sentence of judgment was on that household. He said, But Abraham prays for you, not for me. So Abimelech gave him these things, but what did Abraham give Abimelech? The Bible says, verse 17, So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his maidservants. the Lord had fast closed up all the wounds in the house of Abimelech because of Sarah and Abraham's prophet of the Lord this man is under the sentence of judgment but the prophet of the Lord prayed swept into that house. He, not just for Abimelech, he that was there, but for his wife, his servants, and as a result of that, everything was gone. God was Thank God for God's grace in Abraham's life. And not only Abraham's life, but the grace of God that he showed in his marriage in this whole situation. That's the goodness of God. And I'm thankful today for the one God in I'm not living like I'm supposed to. He's going to be the steps in me. Hallelujah. He heals my life. He heals other people's life. That's what God is doing this day. Father God, we come before you right now. We thank you for your awesome word today. We thank you for the people of God that are fighting the good fight of faith that are willing to hear the word of God, Lord Jesus, and be willing to make decisions based on the word of God. People that will not allow that besetting sin to rise back up in their life. People that commit themselves to holiness. God, we thank you today that if temptation comes, 